Energy PolicyCast is a new podcast providing you with recent research on energy policy. That includes energy policy, regulation, modeling, and anything in between. Like our last episodes, today's episode is part of a series on flexibility in electricity systems. Our guest today will shed light on what flexibility means in a broader context of energy systems and for the Nordic countries specifically. He does so with the outset in the FlexRes project, which is a Nordic and Baltic collaboration on the concrete pathways to energy systems based on renewables. Among the things you'll learn are what violence in an orchestra has to do with energy sector coupling, and what brain power and electric power have in common. So with that, it's a pleasure to introduce Professor Peter Lund of Aalto University in Finland. Peter is an accomplished researcher with many years of experience on sector coupling, an editor of energy journals and a top-level policy advisor for the European Commission, among other things. Today's episode takes point of departure in a set of policy recommendations co-authored by Peter. This paper is called Better Policies Accelerate Clean Energy Transition and it has seven different recommendations on improving flexibility. We will of course link to this in the show notes. And with that, it's my pleasure to welcome Peter to Energy PolicyCast. Okay, so thank you very much for the invitation to join you here and I'm very pleased to be here to talk about the policy policy work uh, within the Flex4Res. Uh, now, my, my background, I've been working in energy for about 40 years. And, and uh, that time covers a lot of activities. But let's say, in brief, uh, new energy technologies, innovations, but also uh, the outreach of research, uh, going beyond the traditional engineering in technology, to embed that also to the society, which brings the policy dimensions with has been of interest. So this kind of multidisciplinary approaches, maybe that's part of being matu- more mature that you start to be also interested to look, look slightly on, on uh, how we go discipline links to other disciplines. So that, that kind of uh, interest brought me also to the Flex4S project. Uh, I've worked also uh, uh, for the last 10 to 15 years very much with science to policy advice. I, I chaired, uh, used to chair the European Academies, Academies of Sciences Advisory Council on, on Energy, which, which uh, uh, also advises the European Commission and European Parliament on policy issues in, uh, in energy. And in that work, it became very evident to me that, that the, the advice by, by science and, and scientists is very important. And, and how to transfer that kind of science knowledge into a policy message is extremely important in our society, where energy issues in particular are very complex. And, and and also the uh, development in the field is very fast. Politicians would not maybe know what's uh, around the corner. And, and very, very often we, we work around the corner. We are there in the forefront. So so in, in this sense, uh, uh, even though scientists, we don't like the politicians so much, but still the policy is, is very important. And and I think uh, to, to force ourselves slightly in that way to, to transfer our very profound scientific information our calculations, simulations, the science into a, a, a understandable uh, kind of message which the policymakers could use in the best case for more wiser decision making. I think that is very important mm. nowadays. All right. And I think you, you did a good job in, in, in that paper of actually making it accessible, at least to someone like me, uh, 
where the recommendations were quite, quite clear and then the problems that you pointed on was also quite evident. Maybe just briefly, can you talk a bit about what the flex for s project seen from, from your chair is, is doing and then what your contribution is in, in that regard? Uh, flex for s project is one of the Nordic uh, flagship projects and, and by, by, by the word flagship that in, or explains in a, in a way that it is one of the, the one of key projects that are done, is done on, uh, on energy systems research uh, and energy transition toward a, a CO2-free society, what's done in the Nordic, Nordic level. And it, it really, uh, I would say, and it's been a pleasure to work in that in the sense that it really gathers to, uh, together a lot of talent, very talented people around from Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, Finland, uh, from the Baltic states, and uh, in that kind of setting, it, it's really, uh, I would say, uh, very interesting to work, and uh, we, we can make major progress uh, in, in issues which are, for one country, maybe not possible to do. Uh, so the Nordic dimension is very important, the Flex4S, uh, I would say also the European one. This may be a project that could also uh, give solutions to European-wide questions to make... Uh, the Nordic country is a, as a lighthouse for energy transition. We've heard how, how difficult it is, in, for instance, in Germany to, to turn the coal power plants down and, and to, to really get in on the track on, on the CO2-free path. And I guess for Flex4S project, what it gives, what kind of outcomes comes, may help even, even Germans. And I think this is something that it would be in line very much with the Nordic idea that we... we we very often provide solutions, not just for ourselves, but also for, for others. Uh, Flex4S, by, by contents, really looks on the, this kind of a, uh, no carbon or deep, carbonize, deep decarbonization pathways by 2050. So the idea is by 2050, by introducing very large amount of uh, variable renewables like wind and other technologies, and also to provide flexibility in the energy system. We could really, uh, in a cost-effective cost effective way, get rid of the CO two in our society. So, so the, the goal is really challenging, but very important. Also, in the light of the Paris uh, Climate Accord, and also uh, in light of the findings of the IPCC report from last last fall, which really urges the nations now to take seriously this, the the climate change and and get get the uh, the emissions down by by the middle of the century. Touching upon those issues, the, the international ambitions and the actions needed uh, there, can you just briefly explain what the status for people who are not familiar with the Nordic targets and maybe also EU targets, uh, what is going on on, on on that level? Well, the, the over, this is an important question because the overwhelming question about emissions, this is a common question for all Europeans and uh, actually all people on the planet. Uh, we know from the uh, uh, Paris uh, uh, Climate Accord uh, decisions that by the middle of the century, which is not that far off from now, uh, by the middle of the century, the uh, carbon emissions that we have from our society should be in balance with the carbon uh, sinks that we have, for instance, with the capability of the forest to take the CO2 out of the atmosphere. So we could see that, say that by 2050, our societies here north or in south need to be carbon free. Mm. And, and this is a, a, a huge kind of change in, in the whole, our society, not just the technology to change, 
but also the legislation need to change, the, how, the, uh, how the companies make their business to change, and also how we change. This is, so, that, so the word change in a way is, is the key word from now till 2050, a huge change. Uh, for sure, the, the Nordic countries, uh, uh, already by, because we have uh, been more environmentally with the concerts, I would say, than many other countries. So I think we've, we've already quite uh, on, on a good path forward. And, and, and on that kind of a good starting point, that's al already also where the Flex4S starts, to be, we take benefit of what we already have. And then we make a kind of large kind of a squeeze so that we, by 2050, the whole uh, energy system would be CO2-free. Uh, the Flex4S targets are actually slightly, slightly, I would say, uh, more ambitious than the Paris targets in the sense that we want that our power and heating systems, which produce a lot of CO2, that they would be CO2-free, not just neutral, but no emissions. And I think this is a, the ultimate goal of all of these kind of climate uh, change mitigation activities that we get really get rid of the carbon and keep it ground, not, not let it go in there. Uh, so, so Nordic stands, I would say, we've done a lot of things already and uh, most of the Nordic countries have very ambitious targets to, for instance, disband coal and all that thing. So we have a very good, I would say, fruitful uh, political climate uh, that, that uh, in a way is proactive to do something and, and do it quite fast as well. So maybe hanging on to the 2050 uh, year as a target, what what would be the uh, the purpose of doing something now? Because you you may argue that 2050 is so far away, so why not just wait and and, and wait for something better uh, and and delay your actions a bit? Yeah, this is very often the, the perception that, that. By the way, I mean there's a lot of time. 2050, it's still. 30 years to go and, and maybe we went something here in between which kind of uh, uh, then solves the problems. So let, let the science just work and, and then we get it by when we need. Uh, but I think that the, the size of the problem is this time so large and it's a global problem and it's, it's really uh, touches everyone uh, that, that vicious thinking uh, is, is not enough. And, and, and uh, still the global emissions are increasing they are not decreasing. Even though they should radically decrease so that by 2050 there would be no emissions. So the more we postpone our decisions, the steeper the decrease in the CO2 emissions need to be to reach the 2050 goals. So once we now would start, it, you could say that all the changes could be manageable. We wouldn't destroy anything. We could do it in a, in a, in a sound way. Uh, in an effective way, and, and there would be no panic in a way to do things. So anticipating things would be important, and I think we uh, we see also within the politicians now now uh, and, and more and more understanding that uh, that uh, they they need to look on climate change in a more long term way, and and and, uh, and that that would be also beneficial for the whole society. The Nordics you mentioned could be perhaps a lighthouse in in the, the ambitions and and maybe also the innovations related to that. But do you see uh, other roles of the Nordics in as part of the energy system uh, in in Europe, for instance? Beyond that, well, our society is here up in the north. Uh, we are very innovative, and and uh, and we we don't uh, 
may expect maybe expect of Norway. We don't have big resources. They have the oil and gas. But now most of the countries here, we don't have so big natural resources of which we could uh, build our welfare on. So, so traditionally, we, we are the innovation countries of, of the Europe, I would say. Uh, and, and in that sense, uh, I think, as you said, we, we could uh, give much more than we would take also in that sense. Uh, now, in, in the, in the Flex4Rest project, if you think what we're looking here on is really to decarbonize the, the energy system, uh, very much, I would say, with, with doing things in a more smart way than, than, than inventing big disruptions. We are not inventing here any, any, any big new thing which kind of a, is a silver bullet, no. We, we're using a, a, a lot of good things, good technologies, existing technologies, by using them in a much more smart way. So what we're doing here, we're putting thoughts into practice, and and uh, and that's where we, we start to see, and and, the, and our simulations and, and the scenarios start to show that, that actually uh, what we could achieve by here in North would be not just solving our problems. It, it seems very very clear that the uh, 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 Nordic countries and all the Baltic states as well that we can indeed achieve a, a CO2-free energy system by 2050. And it would be also uh, least cost. I mean, not doing something would be more actually expensive, and then you still have the CO2 emissions. But in addition to that, that's solving a problem, uh, the solutions that we're creating here are could also help uh, the rest of the Europe uh, to, to tackle with the problems. And and, and we, we come out with the, the, a, a very interesting idea is that and again, based on a very profound uh, uh, science and, and simulation scenario work, that the Nordic countries could actually, we could export flexibility from uh, Northern Europe, from Nordic countries to forward the Central Europe, to the South Europe, and in that sense help them also to cope with the big changes that they need to do in the energy system. We know, for instance, that part of the, the uh, reason why Germany is using so much coal power, which is the most dirtiest uh, fuel we have. Uh, even though they build a lot of solar and wind, they need they use a lot of coal, uh, and 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 Germany is the second largest coal user in Europe. Uh, is is the, the lack of flexibility? The energy system is not flexible enough, and that's where we here in the north of Europe, uh, if we were, would work now much more. Uh, in a coherent way, and, and together, we could actually export that kind of knowledge and also the solutions to Central Europe, which would then ease them to get rid of the coal and all the dirty things that they have in energy production. Uh, so so uh, the, the Nordic knowledge, yes, innovations, we can export that, but also bring uh, big systemic kind of solutions and, and, maybe, uh, and also export uh, Electricity export flexibility, which would be clean, flexible, and provide then the the kind of uh, missing piece that we very often see in the the Europe. Hmm. So it's an interesting. I, I like the combination of, of exporting brain power and electric power, essentially uh, in 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 the right combination. I, I suppose that, that's right. In some way, I mean, our brains work with electrons, I guess too, and 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 uh, we can even. Just bring those electrons, but in, in also in a smarter way, and uh, and I think this is um, for sure a, a role that uh, that fits very well the the Nordic thinking. Uh, it's it's always appreciated knowledge 
know-how and it bases its decisions much more on know-how than other countries. And and I think in this this kind of a huge problem that we have with climate change mitigation, where many many of the European countries really struggle how, how to go forward, that we could be helping them. I think that's the way we would really really uh, bring a, a huge added value. Mm. Uh, and I think, of course, that we could go even beyond Europe over time. Is that if something works here, and that's why it's important that we should do something. We should act quickly, and act now, and show that we can do that. And um, I think the, all the elements are there uh, because these kind of references, uh, a Nordic reference, show that how we decarbonize energy systems. Uh, that could actually help um, other countries worldwide, not just Europe, but we see many of the less uh, liberal countries, emerging economies, could take care also use of this, this kind of knowledge that we have. Moving on, we, we've discussed flexibility a lot. And a few years ago, along with uh, some co-authors, you, you published, I think, perhaps the most well-referenced uh, study on flexibility that I have seen with hundreds of uh, references for different variations of, of flexibility. Um, it would be interesting to hear your perspective on how flexibility is related to integrated energy systems and to sector coupling and to smart energy because these terms are used interchangeably uh, by different people and, and your perspective on that would be very relevant, I think. Yeah, well, as, as they used to say that, that a, a beloved child has many names, so have the flexibility also many names, and, and people perceive that in, in many ways. My, my own interest in flexibility started already during my PhD. I did work on seasonal storage uh, 35 years ago, and, 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 and uh, in some way, um, maybe I, I'm, I'm not too much locked in the, the uh, old thinking, but anyway... For me, flexibility is, is really about about the elasticity of the energy system to cope with changes. So uh, when we speak about a person being flexible, I mean, uh, you, you, you would, kind of, uh, when there's a problem, you, you just go around the problem. And the same is in the energy system, in, in, a, in a way with flexibility, there's a lot of bottlenecks we know. There may be not too much wind one day, or there may be too too much winds on the of the day is how to cope with these kind of questions uh, and, and, and the kind of imbalances that we have uh, in the energy system. And, uh, and that's where the flexibility comes in, 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 in order to uh, make a rough sea more still, in a way. I mean, and, and, the, and very often the kind of energy sea is full of waves and it's very rough. How with flexibility, you really make it calm and, and, and more harmonic. So we bring harmony into the energy system through flexibility. But, but then if you look at technical means, there's a lot of those different technical means. In. And one of my favorites, uh, definitely, energy storage is, of course, uh, a kind of a classical example. But, uh, but uh, this kind of sector coupling, that, that's something that I started to work about 15 years ago. Yeah, that was first. And, and uh, that came from the very uh, simple uh, realization that most of the energy that we need in the Decided, or, the, or let's say the most popular form of energy in, in most of the countries would be actually heat. Uh, about two-thirds of the final energy that we need in our houses is, is actually heat. And even sometimes in the summertime you need to heat up your house. So, so heat is something that we need very much. But, but, and uh, so, and, and uh, it's, it's very simple to make heat. So if you have slightly too much, for instance, uh, 
uh, wind power for some reason. Uh, there's a, a huge storm, so and, and you can't use all the power from uh, electricity that you produce. You could turn that electricity very easily to heat, and, it, and then if you put some heat pumps, you could produce from a little electricity very much heat. And and that heat, that's what we need in our, our kind of society, in buildings and in our, uh, in our, in our homes. Uh, sometimes we may have too much heat then, but storing heat is easy. So th speaking about energy storage, which is one means very often in flexibility, electrical storage is always more difficult and it's more expensive. Maybe we need batteries, but heat storage is something that we always done and very cheap. In large scale, we can do a lot of heat storage. Uh, here in Denmark, in Finland, we have a lot of district heating networks and the pipes, the water inside the pipes also works as a storage. So you have all, all elements, very easy to convert electricity into heat and the heat demand and heat storage. So why not to make this kind of a simple sector coupling where you couple the power to heat? And this is the first kind of technology, which I think has as much actually larger potential that anybody can imagine. And this is one of the central technologies, which uh, is really the key point how to make this decarbonization, how, how we can integrate a lot of solar and wind into our energy system. Then maybe going to step forward, think about the now about the uh, the transport sector uh, and the electrification of that. We will see that electric vehicles re really will take off. So again, here, if we have too much power, we can integrate the transport sector, charge our batteries when we have uh, excess of electricity. And in that sense, we, we get different uh, the, the power coupled to all sectors. And instead of looking energy in a very siloed way, as we traditionally use, we look at heat in a silo, electricity in a silo, transport fuel in a silo. Now actually this becomes one, one energy system. So it, that's, that's like, a, like an orchestra that we have many players. And, and then you have the, the, the conductor who plays the orchestra, and it's not the cacophony, but it becomes a harmony. And, and, and this is, I think, this is the sector coupling and, and the many flexibility elements together, is that you use the orchestra. And I think maybe the power to heat are the violins, that we have many violins in the, the orchestra, but then the, you may have some, some uh, clarinets there too, which are some other measures, but, but you play around with these to bring in harmony. And this is the way I think the flexibility works. It solves really the this big systemic problems that we would have with these new technologies like solar, wind, uh, maybe wave power in the future. It solves, we can use those day and night. This is the, the key issue here. Mm, that's a beautiful uh, picture with the orchestra. I, I hadn't heard that before, but it, it, it works well, I think. Perhaps, and this is completely for my own account, I uh, to be a bit provocative, I found find it a bit funny that that uh, we've been discussing sector coupling in our own way in the Nordics for at least the last twenty years. You may make references to to your earlier work as well, and just now within the last few years, it's been picked up by essentially the rest of the world as as uh, something completely new and interesting. Uh, but perhaps we've been a bit too quiet on on our findings until then, uh, on on until now. Uh, that's at least a, a short uh, footnote that that I would like to make on on that. I don't know if you have any comments to that. Yeah, well, I, I think the the we in Nordic countries in the north we are we're quite modest, uh, I, I guess. I mean, we, we we don't want to boast with things that we invent, and uh, 
we think we take very often big innovations as granted. I mean, we don't make much much kind of mess of that. That, and uh, but it's it's true that many of the things now what this kind of very mainstream research and developments worldwide uh, they they have their regions here in the Nordic countries, and 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 uh, this uh, in a way reassures me that I mean our innovativeness is not away. We still have that. I'm sure that we will generate new things. And I think Flex Forest definitely has, has new, a lot of new thinking, uh, which we may perhaps now to learn from our modest, modestness in the past. We need to maybe propagate more about that, tell about what we can do, and, and tell about this Nordic way of thinking in, in flexibility and in energy. Uh, but, but this just, I think, demonstrates that, that uh, the, the very strong innovative mm. innovation capacity that we have in the Nordic countries, for sure. Moving on into uh, the solutions that, that were discussed in, in this policy paper mentioned earlier, I'm quoting uh, one of the sentences saying energy policies in most Nordic and Baltic countries are still too focused on the traditional policy framework dominated by security and cost of supply in addition to environmental issues, but overlooking the energy system flexibility. So I'm curious, I like that quote, and, and I'm curious, what would be a policy for flexibility uh, if we go in the complete opposite direction of, of this quote? Uh, this is a good question in, in the sense that it evokes a few, few ideas here that we need to maybe first elaborate. It's very important to recognize that all the institutions that we have in place now, and with institutions I mean norms, legislations, decree, etc., they are there to support the present energy system. That is, those investments we did in the past. So now think about new technologies like wind or solar or, or the uh, power to heat, storage. Uh, the actually legislation doesn't take care about those. They actually cause barriers because they support the old technologies, which have maybe different characteristics. So we need to change the institutions. We need to change the legislation in the, that sense that they take into account the characteristics of the new technologies. So even though we have the best technology in the world, but if the policies institution doesn't change, and if they support the old thinking, it's, 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 it's actually impossible to get the new technology to the market. And that's why some of the developments worldwide has been so slow, because the, the legislation, the, the norms, etc., they hamper the use of new technologies. So one of the, the uh, suggestions that we had here, if looking at the, uh, the policy brief, uh, which was a, a joint venture between many, many researchers, and we, we had a very good kind of team here uh, providing thinking, is, is that, that actually it's time to, to recognize these barriers that we have uh, in front of the flexibility. And there's a range of those. We were slightly surprised. I mean, we speak about Nordic countries, which have been always kind of a... Uh, uh, leaning to the future, and there's a lot of barriers we found, uh, important barriers that that really hamper the the use of flexibility. And and uh, a few ones of those were, for instance, uh, just as just uh, as as important is, is for instance that, as and just an example, as we we support uh, 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 renewables very often here in our society. We think it's important, and, and we may have support on on bioenergy, which is very often used for heating. And we may have some support for uh, wind energy, which is important for electricity. Now, if we if we consider those separately, 
uh, then, then okay, it's, it's fine. But, but if we start to integrate this together, for instance, try to use the uh, surplus wind energy, when, when we have storms, use that through power to heat to make heat. Now what happens is that we have the bioenergy, which is supported by, by, by subsidies. Uh, uh, and, and it means that uh, even though it would be sensible to use the almost free wind energy when it's, it's storms for heating, we have bioenergy which is supported by subsidies and, and this kind of power to heat can't compete, even though it would be almost free, it can't compete against that. Uh, another example is that we may have uh, uh, feeding tariffs which uh, provide support uh, even if we had uh, negative prices of energy. Let's say if, if there's too much wind produced, the, the price of electricity goes first to zero and maybe even to zero, uh, negative. But if you have feeding tariff, you just support that. Let's produce more and more electricity. And you would not support, let's they think that let's use this electricity, for instance, for heating. Where you always could uh, replace fuels, and there's a, a, a benefit of doing that economically. So we need to go back to the, the different kind of a market mechanisms, support mechanisms, and and uh, uh, and and, and uh, to really do some uh, surgery in, in the sense to understand that some of the uh, uh, then in the past uh, very useful subsidies for renewables may be very harmful when we try to get the decarbonization to place where we need, indeed, a lot of flexibility. We're not going to go through all the seven recommendations. We're interested readers should find the link to the report in, in the notes for the, this podcast, but a few of them mention uh, implementing electricity tariffs or electricity taxes that allow for market signals to enter the end consumer or, for instance, the power to heat unit that, that you were mentioning. Could you just briefly uh, outline the concept of, of, uh, of this? Yes, so one, one important, uh, important uh, recommendation for policymakers in, in the Nordic and Baltic uh, area would be to have much more dynamic tariffs, subsidies or taxes. Not very often those those are very very kind of a rigid constant doesn't I mean react to anything it, we put a tax on something a gasoline tax and it stays the same over the years and and our message was that by the way you need to have a more dynamic tariffs and 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 the reason for that is that in particular I go for market based kind of tariffs would be that that if if you want to make a business of out of flexibility. And that is what we need. I mean, we need, we need business models. I mean, the states are not doing the flexibility, and, and we as consumers are not doing it. It's the companies and the industry. And they need business models. And they need to do business. I mean, you don't do, don't do the things by welfare. But to do business energy, you need, you need price differences. And there has to be an arbitrage possibility. It's the same the grocery. I mean, if, if, the, if the, the shop... Uh, buys with the same price as it sells, it went bankrupt. So we need the price differences, we differentiate. So if, if we have, for instance, too much wind, the price goes down and we can use it for heating. Again, it goes up, up and down. So up and down prices, get, let, let the price go up and down more than it goes now. And then you get companies who, who start to bring in the flexibility so that the consumer maybe not see even that those price differences, but has a service 
which take care that the supply and demand is in the balance and we, we get the best solution. So, so dynamics means that, that we would then be able to create the business models which the companies need to provide this flexibility, sector coupling, all these new kind of uh, fine technologies, which helps you to put a lot of wind, a lot of solar, and get rid of the fossil fuel plants, and in that sense, get the emissions down as we should get by 2050. You mentioned uh, changing or new business models. Um, it, it's a very broad question, but what would you characterize uh, new differences or new changes it, that more flexibility and new policies and new types of regulation and markets, what would that entail for respectively uh, generators and, and consumers? One, just to mention an example, uh, you mentioned that uh, maybe subsidies should be cut away in case you have negative prices for electricity. That makes uh, very good sense, but it may also introduce a bit of risk to the renewables generator to uh, suddenly have that kind of, of uh, absence of revenue in, in certain periods of the year. Uh, so, yeah, well, getting back to the question, uh, so, yeah. so what changes would, would it mean uh, for the stakeholders? Yeah, this is a good question in the sense that uh, I mean, when you invest uh, in a technology, uh, then you, you try to calculate for revenues, and, and, and if, you don't, if you're not able to uh, assess the revenues very, very carefully, that, that, that may, may impose a, a risk to your, your, your investments, and maybe you just leave it done. But, but uh, in our case, we, we looked on, on this issue more profoundly in the sense that we, we need to first of all recognize that the, that, uh, uh, that the new technologies like wind, solar, bio, we are entering an area, era where, where the, the uh, uh, role of subsidies will become smaller. These technologies are now competitive. And it means that we, we in the coming few years, we most likely most of the governments Europe and the Nordic countries will start to abandon the, 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 the subsidies. They, they are kind of a market mature. And, and when, when we come to the market matureness, now, now it will be important also for the, I mean, think about a world where there's no subsidies anymore, and, and we are entering that, is that during a negative period of prices, now in a, in a, in a, in a market neutral case, the investor would have a huge loss because they may need to pay somebody to take the electricity. Now, instead of having a good signal here that, that, that we, we allow this flexibility, we have the mechanism to provide the flexibility, we could use during this negative price periods the electricity for heating or charging electric vehicles and provide actually more revenues. Yeah, I put out more revenues to the owners uh, of these wind power plants that it would have uh, if, if we hadn't this kind of mechanisms. So, so I think we, we uh, some of the, uh, let's say, uh, d dilemmas that may, may in, in a way, be there are more artificial and, and perhaps part of the transition from the old world to new world. And, and, uh, and uh, for instance, the feed-in tariffs were originally thought as learning investment that we get new technologies cheaper. Now we've done that. And now we're entering a much a new era, actually, where we need to think about the tariffs and taxes in a different way. And as I pointed early on, on is, is not to look on power as, a, as just a very siloed sector, but let's look on energy as a whole. And that's where power may find much more benefits uh, 
Uh, then just that's providing maybe the light bulbs, but also charge your electric vehicles, heat up your house, use it for cooling in the summer, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, so, so in that sense, I would not be too much afraid. But again, we need to change the uh, uh, institutions, norms, legislation, and the tariffs. And once we do that, and let, let's have this arbitrage where the price goes up and down. That's where we get the new new services. And this is important also to recognize that that uh, that most likely with the old business models that we have, and old business model in power is very is very often that let's sell power. Maybe we buy power and we sell power, but very simple. We need something else. We need new new kind of companies, or the old companies need to change their business models. And, and this is something that we will for sure see that once we get more dynamic tariffs and dynamic dynamic kind of uh, markets. That's where we'll see new new service providers coming in, and maybe the old ones change their business models, and that is an important step. A change in the business model means that there will be services on the market, which helps then the energy transition in a much more effective way than if uh, we had just state enforcing those. You mentioned uh, the the need for change in institutions, which is covering broadly policies and, and, and the stakeholders in, in the system. What do you find the uh, the biggest challenges moving ahead from now? I think you mentioned that technologies in themselves might actually be sufficient, uh, or at least we have applied them pragmatically in the Nordics to quite large success. So so uh, what what challenges lies ahead for, for the transition to a more flexible system? Uh, looking on the energy transition as a whole and, and flexibility as an important part of that, it, it, it really, as you said, most of the technologies are there and the price of uh, new technologies are, are, are reasonable and, and we have good technologies. For sure, we will see new innovations in the future as well, but let's say the, the portfolio of technologies that we, uh, we have it would be adequate to go forward in a quick, quick way. Uh, but but again, uh, uh, there's many layers that have to change at the same time before this transition happens. And uh, uh, one important layer for sure is technical, economic issues. But then comes also the question about social technical issues. And, and social technical is- issues, uh, by large, actually have relates to this change of institutions, business models, uh, but also users. At at some point, we come, uh, we have to think about the users uh, more, more profoundly. Uh, and that, the reason for this is that the change that we speak about is so huge. So everything in energy needs in, pra- in practice we change. And and how do we as users, as consumers, uh, would cope with the change? Do we have the tools? Do we have the understanding? Uh, that's some, uh, do we accept this change? Uh, is the social acceptance of change adequate? Uh, that's something that we have not yet tested. We may have some uh, some already uh, experiences about people have wanting a windmill in the backyard. That's the phenomena we see in many technologies, but they are very local or or individual, and it depends on how you see on the technology. But but once we go to large scale schemes, uh, that that's where I think we need more and more to think about these kind of social behavioral aspects. And bring the behavior, behavioral economics maybe into the picture, which are again new tools that were not, uh, let's say, uh, necessary in the past when 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 the use of the new these new technologies, flexibility, etc., were in, in in infancy.
Finally, I'm curious to hear if you have uh, any recommendations on literature that might provide interesting insights into uh, the topic we discussed today that you find useful and, and that you want to share with the listeners. Well, this is a tricky question, and and, uh, and, and maybe I'm not giving the best answer, but I think a good answer would be to just visit the Flex4S uh, website. And and this project has, has uh, produced a lot of good publications, and it's covering the transition and the flexibility in a very many-sided way, from really technical issues to economic issues to social-technical issues, socio-economics. It shows really the breadth of of the issues, and and uh, and and honestly, I, I can't find a a textbook which could cover the topic so well as as the Flex 4S. Maybe uh, and this is maybe uh, also a message to those Flex 4S partners that may listen our podcast is maybe it's a time also to write a good textbook about this topic. And I think the Flex 4S people and partners would be in the best position to do that. That's a nice encouragement for uh, perhaps new literature on, on the field. And uh, with that, I would like to say thank you very much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Later this year, the recommendations authored by Peter will be supplemented by additional Flexforest research that includes number crunching and concrete scenarios. So stay tuned for later episodes. Energy PolicyCast is an informal and sometimes geeky way of sharing recent research. If you have any comments to this or to other things, then please get in touch. Or spread the word about the podcast to colleagues or on social media, so we can get the good research off the shelves and into the machinery of energy policy. Today's episode was supported by the FlexRest project, and in other times, other projects will support Energy PolicyCast. Common for all episodes are that we aim to bring you quality, research-based knowledge on energy policy. I am Daniel Sneum, researcher at DTU Management, and I hope to catch you next time with more of the latest research on energy policy.